Welcome back, everyone, to our two cast number 116. To be honest, every time I've said a number over 100, it seems a bit insane to me, but uh, we've, we've got another another good episode ahead. Um, the last episode we had was with Ross McKelvey, who is currently working his way up in professional volleyball. So that was an interesting one. Obviously, an all-in series, not part of the food and farming series, um, which I'm actually really enjoying, obviously, had done 100 episodes of people in food and farming and then bringing in this sort of non-food and farming side, this series that meant I could bring everyone on was really interesting because um, as much as I could speak food and farming for days, it's quite cool to have that sort of chat outside. The next episode we'll be having is someone you probably heard of as well, and Sophie Bell. Uh, we'll have her on next week, uh, an Instagrammer from uh, South Republic of Ireland, dairy farmer, um, very big on our grass and been someone I've followed for a while. And there's this magazine cover from about two years ago where Sophie Bell, Louise Crowley, Hazel Mullins and Alice, I never remember Alice's surname, but the calf, um, no, sorry, not the, the, I've forgotten her name entirely. That's terrible. Anyway, Alice Hodgkins, that's her name, um, we're on the front cover and Sophie will be the third of four of those people I've had in the podcast, just got to get Alice as well. Um, I have spoken to her, but she said no originally, but we might get her back on at some point. Today is another good uh, episode as well. Um, today we have Erin McNaught. Erin, would you like to say hello? Hi, thank you for having me on this podcast. <laughs> Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to A-Plan Rural for that. Not, not at all. Very much looking forward to it. And Erin is um, very comfortable with this. She's been on the Becca and Lizzie, or yeah, it's called Becca and Lizzie podcast now, isn't it? So go and check that out with uh, Becca, Lizzie and Erin as well. Um, we we're just speaking off camera about the Highland Show. This is the first mm -hmm. one I've filmed since Highland Show. If you were one of the, and I'm not exaggerating here, it was really surreal, probably 80, 90 folk that came up to me and said hello, I follow the podcast and I didn't know who you were. One, I'm so sorry, but two, it's so cool that that's happened. So if you're one of those people, thank you very much. And uh, if you are someone that walks past me, I am approachable, come and say hello. I'd love to sit and chat to you for an hour. Even if I have had one too many drinks at the bar, which I'm sure there's very little chance of at the Highland Show. Um, but enough about me and enough of my Highland Show escapades because nobody wants to hear about that. But um, we're here to hear Erin's story. Erin, could you tell us, you tell us a bit about your background. What, what was a young Erin McNaught doing and what was she wanting to do? So where do I start? Well, one thing I knew from the from being a very small child that I was mad for farming. That's what I wanted to do. And um, I've been brought up on the farm. It's my granddad's farm. And I've been his little shadow ever since I was a young, a very young girl. So yeah, he was like my role model. And um, as I got older, um, unfortunately he also got older and um, you know bad health and things. And that meant that he couldn't um, carry on farming. But luckily I had then the chance to come home and um, farm the farm for him. And it's nice because it's a family farm, it's still very family orientated, but um, no, I feel very lucky to be able to have that chance um, to run my own business and put my own stamp on the farm because even though I'm the fourth generation now, 
I hope that the farm is looking innovative and um, yeah, looking towards the future. So that's a bit about the farm. Um, well, I should say how many sheep and cattle we've got. <laughs> that's one of the key things, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I was just, just um, thinking of the question about my mouth. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> we keep about 350 sheep at the moment. So what happened was um, when, I'm in, when I was in school, we rented some of the land out um, because I couldn't cope with all the work and my granddad couldn't, obviously. Um, but then I did my A-levels um, and decided to take a gap year before doing my degree in geography and environmental science. So anyway, in that gap year, I took all the land back in hand and increased the U numbers from 50 to 350. So that's where we're at at the moment. So it's my second year now farming um, full time at home. And then um, we had a suckler herd, but I'd, I couldn't see it working. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really want to be calving cows <laughs> all through the night and whatever, lambing is bad enough. Um, but um, so that's why I've been rearing dairy calves instead. So um, that's kind of one of the big changes. But in terms of breeds of sheep, we keep Welsh, Mountain, obviously, um, you know, you couldn't keep anything else on the hill. We have quite, you know, mountainous farm and they're brilliant and it's just a tradition to have. But um, I also have on the more of the lowlands, more around the farm, um, we have Texel cross shoes, which are lambed early in February to try and hit that early market. So, yeah, that's a bit of like an overview of the farm. But um, the one thing that keeps the farm ticking over probably are the sheepdogs. So with being a mountainous farm, um, yeah, you can't get, well, you can't get on the fields with a tractor, never mind a quad and everything like that. So um, yeah, the sheepdogs do come in handy. And then it does, it puts a cherry on the cake then being able to go and show off my dogs in a sheepdog trial at the weekend. And yeah, had some few successes, so that's great. But um, no, I'm very grateful for the dogs and for the work they do on the farm because yeah, couldn't, couldn't do without them. And for, for those listening, um, we'll get into what those uh, sort of trial successes have been, but you've played it down hugely by saying some success, but we'll get into that <laughs> later on. I won't, I won't give it away before we get to it and folk can hear just to what extent and how successful you have been on that side of things. I actually had, you won't be able to see it, but I had <laughs> literally written 350 sheep, as you said, and then wrote Welsh Mountain question mark. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I wonder if that's what it's going to be, because it just has to be. Where it's obviously a Welsh accent, Erin, where in Wales are you? So up in North Wales, I, I don't know if you can tell, but the accent is very different to South Wales. Um, yeah, North Wales, I don't know how to describe it, but it's basically like my voice, everybody speaks like this kind of thing. Um, but my first language is Welsh. So that's, is what, it? Yeah, so that's what I speak every day. Um, and then that's why I apologise if my English is a bit well we call it wenglish because i mix a few welsh and english words together but um yeah that's it but um i've yeah ed educated in welsh and then yeah every day i speak welsh but we're up in north wales um we're in the snowdonia national park and we're a, i live near a town called bala um yeah. one of the famous features of bala is a big lake called hintegi i don't know I'm so annoyed help. you said that. I was just going to say that because yeah. so my I had an ex who had family in Fangochlan. If I said uh, that, yeah. if I butchered that word, I might have. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that was good actually. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so when she started going to Aberystwyth University, um, you would drive past Bawa. Yeah. Um, gorgeous little place. Gorgeous little place. Yeah. No, we're lucky. Yeah. You know, lovely views, um, lovely landscape, and as well, the community is really close. Um, everybody knows each other. 
um, and especially my mum's a school teacher as well in our um, secondary school. So yeah, everybody knows each other. That's that's how it says. So so tell us about that, um, Aaron. We, we've had in the past, I'm trying to remember what episode, I think episode 107, my, my co-host Ed on the sort of second series, we had Dylan and Theltale and, and Theltale is sort of trilingual and I think Ed, Dylan and I were just sat there like almost in awe of her, like the fact that she can just speak in Spanish, she can speak in English, she can speak in what is like a sort of small, like almost, I guess, the equivalent to a Gaelic or a Welsh or like a subdivision of a language um, in Spain. And it's something that we as Brits are terrible at. You know, we sort of, as a collective, go to Spain and assume they should speak English. And we, and it's just embarrassing. And it's quite, it's quite appalling, actually, in fairness, and very uncultured. But being reared and reared, brought up, <laughs> you're not a sheep, you're brought up in, in a country that, you know, uh, is English speaking for the most part, apart from tiny little pockets of Gaelic and uh, sort of thing here. In Wales, you've really sort of held on to that. Um, so when when were you first aware of English or were you always aware of English? How did that sort of happen as a kid? So I suppose I was quite lucky um, because, I know, probably as a surname suggests, it's not a very Welsh surname. I would, I would um, agree. <laughs> my family is actually, yeah, originated in Scotland um, and I moved um moved down but um yeah so I suppose then uh, my granddad although he was brought up in Wales um he met my grandmother which we call nine because they're nine untied which is yeah. Welsh for grandmother and granddad uh, met her and she's from Manchester so then obviously then with them we speak English but then with my mum we speak Welsh so then I've been lucky to have kind of that both languages and I've been using it daily kind of thing um, ever since I was a young girl um, but obviously for most families in Wales it, or North Wales especially um, the Welsh language is the first language and the one that they use every day and yeah never speak a word of English but um, no I think it's important to have the both because as you venture further into the world um, yeah your language skills are so important and um, yeah, I think it's so clever that you can speak two languages, but yeah, they, I think they both need to be equal um, yeah. to each other. But in terms of our community, because we're so close um, and we've got loads of different events on that celebrates the Welsh language. So yeah, we are proud of it as well. I like that. I, I actually really like it. I mean, I said there that Gaelic was my example. I, I'm in Scotland and um, have been on, like, raised on an island in Scotland, yeah. And it's just not a thing. You know, it's just not a thing at all, and it's it's nice to see that it is completely kept in Wales. And you you mentioned at the start. Sorry if my English isn't perfect. Like I assume that was a joke because it's absolutely perfect. Like it's clearly <laughs> brilliant. Uh, yeah, you've you've I just, absolutely. Yeah, I think I get self conscious about it because obviously I probably sound different to a lot of my friends that you know doing doing a lot of work with the NFU and things like that and meeting a lot of new people. And um, I suppose being a North Wales, which is a bit of a country bumpkin. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's probably sometimes something that is quite, yeah, stands out, probably. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it stands out in a good way. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to uh, put myself on the spot here. Uh, if I was to say, what could I come up with? Um, let's do something boring. These are the worst questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's terrible. This isn't where I wanted this to go, but I just love hearing uh, uh, different languages. So just, just something along the lines of like... Uh, Hello, my name is Wallace. Let's go very easy. Oh, what would God, that how can I do it without laughing? Um, 
Do we just say hello? My name is Erin because I know. Well, yeah, 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 go for that because uh, your name's not Paulus. Yeah, that'll be Hello, the N O E U Erin. Oh, God, there's too many movements in there. Hello, <laughs> the N O E U Erin. Ooh, Wallace, right, okay, there you are. Well, I've absolutely butchered that. Sorry to anyone that speaks the Welsh. <laughs> I just listen, I apologise hugely. Um, yeah, well, well, tell us tell us about the farm, uh, uh, and you said sort of about 350 sheep, but that wasn't just what it was. I mean, going from 50, when you said 50, I was like 50 to 100, or if it, you know, you've, you've, you've timed it by seven times. That must have been quite a notable decision that's not just something you're like oh we'll do that you know you've you've added 300 to a flock of 50 but what was the what was the reason for that well you know to be honest I need to increase the numbers even more really because um yeah the whole farm size is around 350 acres um so yeah we're a bit um under understocked really um but um yeah because I I kind of I was in that kind of crossroad after finishing my A-levels, like, do I go off and leave this all behind or do I stop home and, um, yeah, dedicate my life really to the farm? Um, and I knew the answer was to stop home because I wanted to start farming while I had the guidance of my granddad. Um, because, you know, I know how difficult it is to start up and I kind of felt like I did, I was very grateful that I had that base, I had a few sheep, I had the land, so I kind of think, thought, oh, I need to make the most of this opportunity. Um, so that's what I did, you know, I started to increase it quite quickly and, you know, lucky to have the backing of my granddad as well. Um, but yeah, it's been challenging. I've learned a few things, <laughs> made some mistakes, but I think I'm hopefully getting to that stage now where I'm kind of, I'm proud of my two flocks of sheep, so the Texel Crosses and the Welsh Mountain. Um, I've improved because obviously at the start, we kind of bought cheap used, you know, cheap Welsh shoes just to get it going. But hopefully now, you know, with some more breeding and better rams coming into the farm that, you know, I'm, I'm improving that flock. Um, and then the same with the Texel Crosses. My aim was to get lamb, fat lambs gone um, as quickly as possible. And yeah, we lambed them in February and they're gone by may or early june so yeah that's for a farm in north wales in the mountains that is good going um but the way i've been able to do this probably is through reseeding and um that's what i believe in really because obviously 350 acres isn't a big farm you know it's yeah you know there's much bigger sized farms obviously but what i feel is i need to make the most of every bit of land i've got and I feel the way I can do this is by improving the land, by you know, reseeding, um, looking at soil health. And I think that's so, so important because, you know, I, I don't see me expanding in terms of land, but I, th I can see me then, I can see me making the most of the land and hopefully increasing the production of grass on the farm. And I think that's the way forward, really. Is it is it an owned farm? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah fourth generation now so um to cut a long story short um my granddad who you know had roots in scotland but he was a shepherd and got into the sheepdogs and then of course um being mad for sheepdogs and, and trialing and competing he wanted his own little farm um in wales you know because wales it is you know the heart of the sheepdog world yeah. so then um yeah he moved down um with my great-grandmother and um had a little farm, but then moved then to our current farm um, called Pandy and bought this farm in 18, oh no, 1970 something. Oh, I'm not sure about 
Crack my fingers. I was going to say, if it's 18, he's some age. <laughs> well, I'm so used to saying because the why that's bringing to mind is um, that in 1873 was the first that the first ever sheepdog trial was held. Um, right. And that was held literally, I'm looking at it now on the hill. Um, by the farm so that was kind of the draw I think from from my from my great granddad because he yeah he is was always like the heart of the sheepdogs and um he was actually because you know he was so shocked that maybe that it wasn't really celebrated that it was in Bala that the first ever sheepdogs trial started and obviously sheepdog trialing has gone worldwide yeah. so he was the one that put the um plaque on the common or the, on the on the hill to commemorate um the big events really so um yeah you know it's something that's very close to us as a family that um that we're farming the land where the first ever sheepdog child was recorded and um, yeah continuing that tradition here because i'm now the secretary of the Bala Sheepdog Committee and all the families on the committee and we have a sale two times a year so um, a dog sale and then one sheepdog child in May time so um, yeah something that's very close to the heart. That's really cool I mean I've, I've well what is that that'll be the 150th year this year Are you doing it yeah, so we were celebrating yeah 150 years we had a bit of a do um we had like a, a competition and a final and we had all sorts of uh, mackies and um, stalls and yeah it was a really really good day for the community um but the story of how it started was actually quite funny because um in 1873 um the man who owned a large estate in the area um rj price um he was talking to one of his scottish friends in london saying um, and the scottish man said oh i have the best dogs on my farm and then he said no i have the best dogs on my farm back in wales so then what they decided was to do this competition to see who was who had the best dogs and obviously that then was held um, in 1873 on um, the hill nearby and a scotchman actually won so um <laughs> it wasn't the best but i may add to the story that the scotchman did live in the village so yeah but um then we had a re they had a rematch then um i can't remember what year um in london in alexander park or something like that okay yeah yeah, they had a rematch, um, and one of the condition that they had what that that we had they had to use Welsh mountain sheep. So farms from Ballan here took the sheep all the way down to London, and then a Welshman did win. So <laughs> that's what? a story. But um, that kind of rivalry between the countries still go on. You know who's the best shepherd and who's got the best dogs. <laughs> that is a fantastic story. That's a belter. I've you know. I used to watch like sort of the one man's dog and all that sort of thing when I was younger, but um, my, my, I know my mum and dad are a big fan and I'm pretty sure they'll be listening to this and they'll absolutely love that story. That is that is a better. Um, I do want to get on to the, the sheepdog side, but I just want to sort of cover the farm stuff first. Um, reading dairy calves, was that you that sort of started that? Yeah, so it was me yeah. that started that um, because, yeah, it was quite a challenging decision to make because my granddad was adamant with having suckler herds all his life. He thought, you know, no, there's no, nothing better to get a calf than a cow and, you know, no, not happening. But what I started to do was like buying calves and, um, and then I was comparing them, like what were my calves doing compared to his cows? And in the end, we worked out that the calves were a lot more profitable. And uh, yeah, we had a lot, much bigger margin. And yeah, we basically, we'd buy them in um, a month old and sell them 
just short of 12 months. Um, so it's quite relatively quick turnover turn compared to a can-calf maybe. Um, and yeah, it's working well. And also with my commitments, because obviously I need to think, how do I spend my time? So I've got a degree to do. I've got the dogs to train and I've also got the farm to run. So I thought, you know, rearing calves is the best option for me because yeah, it's kind of milk, uh, take feed the milk in the morning when, they, when they're young. Um, and then in the evenings, you know, it's, it's quite a structured routine. I'm not having to wake up through the night calving and um, yeah. <laughs> I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. And tell us, tell us about your degree. Uh, was it geography and environmental science, did you say? Yeah, so, well, what I did was when I left, I did my A-levels and I left school and decided I wanted to do, wanted the gap year. Um, to be honest, when I said I was coming home to farm, it did raise a few eyebrows because I'd done well in my A-levels and GCSEs and, you know, my mum being a school teacher as well. Um, there was high expectations, but, um, you know, I knew to go away to university wasn't for me I, I knew you know deep down in my heart that being home farming is what I wanted to do so I thought right I'll take a year out just to kind of see how things are um so in that year I had the amazing year I got the farm um home running and I also worked on a dairy farm nearby as well so you know earning a bit of money as well and having new experiences um but then I kind of thought no you know I want I for personal development, really, you know, that I wanted to kind of have a degree to my name, yeah. um, you know, because I, you know, I enjoyed schoolwork, you know, I, I am kind of academic, which is I don't like sitting down for too long. <laughs> um, so the compromise I did was um, doing a degree online. So I'm doing it with the Open University. So it, it works absolutely amazing with the farm work. So I just, yeah, on a rainy day or a rainy afternoon, I'll come in, do a bit of work and then go out back to my sheep and just um, yeah it's totally flexible how I you know how I spend my time kind of thing so um yeah it's a three-year course I'm on my first year now so I've just finished my first year and um yeah no it's it's working great and I'm glad because to be honest you know I geography and environmental science is very very close to farming and um, you know it's even closer than I thought one of the things we was I've been studying is like farming in China which you know right. who thought that would be in the syllabus of a um, geography and environmental science degree. But no, the things I've learned are very much farming related or things I could apply to the farm from soil health, um, nitrogen carbon cycles, all of that. So um, yeah, no, it, it's quite an interesting thing. And it's, I think it's important to keep the brain ticking over and um, yeah, because farming is quite physical. Um, and yeah, I do enjoy coming in sometimes, especially on a rainy day <laughs> into the office and do some work. <laughs> I feel like maybe maybe I've just picked you up wrong, but what age are you? I know it's rude to ask, but <laughs> I'm twenty. Oh my god, <laughs> have you fitted all this in? I did not realise you were that young. That's insane. Just when yeah. you said you had a gap year and then you're in your first year at uni, I thought you had your degree. Um, <laughs> wow, twenty, James. Well, for those, no, I like to keep myself busy. Keep me out of mischief. <laughs> it seems that way. Christ. Uh, for those of you listening, you'll realise with the few things we're going to go over in the in the coming minutes about what Erin has done, you'll realise my shock at the fact she's only twenty. I think you're the. I think you're the youngest person I've had on a one-to-one -one podcast. I think. 
Jings, I thought, wow, I thought you'd be similar ages with myself. I did not think you'd have fit all this in at 20. Um, yeah. So, yeah, moving away from the farm that you were running, uh, the, the fact that you are doing a degree, uh, on top of that, um, you've obviously mentioned sheepdogs throughout, and you mentioned you'd had some success with them. Uh, go on, tell us what that success involves. Oh, I don't, I don't like saying, I don't like this part. Um, so, yeah, in 2018, um, I became the Precision Handler Champion. So yeah, that was, and to be honest, the bitch I won it with is sitting next by next to me here. She's called Moxie. Um, yeah, an amazing experience. And then in 2019, I won the one man and his dog competition. So, and that was is my dog called Sam. So yeah, two very kind of pinnacle moments for me, really. Yeah. And then that that kind of maybe exposure to media and things like that, you know, because obviously after winning have you know a lot of kind of publicity and that kind of led me on then my media journey and um, television journey and then yeah I've not really looked back since but um you know when I think about it you know it's the dogs I feel that I've started everything off and also started in like my passion for farming and things like that um it's just it's crazy how things just fall fall into place um because yeah yeah I'm so so grateful for them really for all the opportunities I've had so obviously the young one is is meant for younger folk, but the the other one is not, from what I understand. Are you are you one of the youngest <laughs> that have done that? Or um, so it's like a um, basically it's different teams. So we have the Welsh right. team, but then it's like a junior pair and a, a pair a junior and an adult in a in a pair. So then I was in uh, the junior in the Welsh right. team. So then we won it. Um, it's a guy that I won it with Kevin Evans, who is. Yeah, a very well-known sheepdog yeah. handler. Um, but yeah, we went it together and we did it up in Scotland, it was, um, where we filmed that. And then the international, where I won the British Young Handler Championship, was in Ireland. So yeah, the dogs have, you know, I have travelled a bit with the dogs as well, so that's great. I've gone <laughs> gone out of Bala. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. You've left home. You've left home. Um, how does sheepdog trialling work? Uh, a lot of patience, a lot of time. <laughs> you have to be a really good loser as well, um, you know, because, yeah, you have a few successes, but most of the time you're on a down because, yeah, it doesn't, never go, goes your way. Um, and you have, to be, you have to be used to that, to be honest, because you can't predict the sheep, you can't predict the dog, and you can't predict how you react to whatever situation you're in with the sheep and dog. Um, but basically, in a nutshell, um, it's like a competition. It usually happens on a weekend um, where you'll have a field, and on that field, there'll be like an best described as an obstacle course. Um, but it's basically, you know, like gates on the field. And then what you have to do is like take the dog has to take the sheep round the field and through this obstacle course. And then it usually you end usually ends up penning them in the pen. And that's kind of finished and then you're scored then on like um how tidy and if you've got all the obstacles and how straight your lines are it's very technical um yeah. but that's kind of it in a nutshell and then obviously you know good dogs kind of shine through um and yeah you kind of yeah it's quite competitive but um no great fun as well and yeah to be honest it's more of a social thing for me you know going out going from the farm on a weekend and um, with the dogs and seeing different people and I kind of take it quite lightly I'm not that competitive myself but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah obviously shows you don't need to be competitive because by god you've been successful with it um you were obviously quite young both of those wins 
uh, what age were Moxie and Sam? Well, funnily enough, Moxie, I I never buy any dogs in. I usually train them from a young yeah. But um, I'd been running, I was, how old was I? 18? I was I 18? No, I was younger than that. You must have been 15. 15, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was kind of running my mum's dogs. And then Carly's are very much a one-person dog, you know, as in they... I was running my mum's dogs, but they weren't working as well for me. So anyway, we made, we kind of bizarrely made this decision, right, we'll buy you a bitch. So then I bought Moxie from Ireland. So yeah, I went all the way to Ireland, bought her. That's, and that's another story in itself, but um, I won't go into too much detail about that. But then it was just so nice then going back to Ireland then to compete in the international and yeah, get getting that trophy. So I suppose Moxie... She was three and a half when I bought her, so I think she was like five. Um, but bless it a bit, she's ten now, and um, I've had to, I had to retire her actually soon after that competition um, when she was five years old because she was diagnosed um, to be diabetic. Okay. So that meant, yeah, her trialing career was over. Bless her, um, and I have to inject her insulin morning and night. So yeah, she retired and she's basically a house dog, a house dog now, even though she lives, yeah, she's out with me on the farm all the time. Um, but that's kind of the sad story about Moxie. Um, and then Sam, he was about four, I think, when I won it with him, um, the wild man and his dog competition. Um, and he's now probably 10 or 11. So yeah, he's getting on. So unfortunately, dogs, you know, they're yeah, their lifetime is quite, it's very short compared to us and it's very, very sad, but hopefully in the time we have with them that, you know, that they have, yeah, um, had, you know, all the work and competitions and that, yeah, made the most of it, really. It's the hard part of it, isn't it? That, yeah, you so. kind of don't think about it. You're like, yeah, oh, you think that they'll be here forever. But yeah. that's, you know, why it's imp so important to have like young dogs coming through all the time. So yeah, we try and have young dogs coming through because even if you miss like that one year when you've not got a young dog training you suddenly think oh sugar you know I've got nothing coming up and you never know like with Moxie I never thought she'd be ill um when she was yeah. only five you never know but um, that's just yeah that's how it is unfortunately. Do you breed and train dogs to sale or just for yourselves? To be honest no um I don't have the time to be honest to you know train for the people and although it's kind of a business idea that should probably should be explored and a lot of people say yeah. you know, why you're not doing it but I think it takes a fun out for me because you know the reason I enjoy the dog so much is because um you know the connection I have with them um it's also you know going and training my dog is like basically like my downtime you know as in working on the farm all day and just going to the field on your own just a dog and sheep is something I really enjoy you know that's how I relax and that's kind of yeah my hobby I suppose so um yeah we only kind of breed and train dogs for ourselves obviously if nothing if some if a dog doesn't make the grade um in terms of competing and is best suited as just to being a farm dog then we'll sell that dog on um to obviously give it the best chance of being in that you know in a situation where it's best suited kind of thing um, but otherwise, yeah, we, all our dogs are working on the farm and also trialling as well. I assume there's there's a sort of difficulty to, to breeding, training, whatever, to sell because you create that bond so you train them correctly and then you're like, oh, you've got to go, <laughs> which I assume yeah, is quite tricky. Uh, it is tricky, but like, you know, thinking back, I had, well, you know, you're always 
what I try and do is look for the best home. That's all. That's the best thing you can do. And most often, you know, when I have to sell a dog, it's most it's the the reason is maybe because I'm, it's not raising its full potential with me. So you know, it's only many, so many dogs I can have, so many dogs I can compete with. And if I feel that a dog is better off um, in another place where it will have plenty of work and you know more attention, then that's the best thing to do. And to be honest all the customers I've had are oh, they send me photos of their dogs and I just yeah it brings a tear to my eye because I just see yeah how good how good their life is and um yeah I always miss them but um yeah having a good another good home is so so important no definitely definitely and it's nice that's it's nice to find the sort of them sending the videos of them being there we we had one dog that we got we don't trial and it's my mom not me either <laughs> uh, and it just didn't work. It just wasn't for, it wasn't for happening. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they they gave this dog away, Angus, if you want to find a more Scottish name. Um, <laughs> and for, for a year or so, mum got updates on what he was doing and just living his best garden dog life. Like he was happy. It was really, really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important because not everybody can train a dog. And yeah. a lot of farmers, you know, they don't have the time and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's good, you know, if a dog is useful to somebody else, you know, it's great. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're involved in the, the NFU Young Ambassador Scheme thing. Mm. Uh, have I said the name right there? Young Farmer Ambassador? It's a, yeah, it's a bit of a long one. It's uh, NFU Students, a Young Farmer Ambassador Program. <clears throat> wow, NFU, S-A-Y-F-A. <laughs> That's huge. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's a thing I've had a few folk on. I'm not going to manage to mention every name, but Biza Walters, Rebecca Wilson. Mm. Um, well, they've both got the same initials, BW. Uh, and it, it's something that I've praised hugely because in Scotland, we have an NFU here and they have an ambassador, a young ambassador scheme, but it's nothing. And I think what they're doing in England and Wales is fantastic. Um, could you tell us a bit about that? First off, how... How did you come to be involved and then also what it does involve? Yeah, so I think it was a bit by chance, really. So obviously as a farm business, um, we were a member of the NFU um, as a union and for insurance. Um, but I kind of just, I wasn't really, I didn't really know what a union did. I didn't really know that they, you know, I just thought they provided insurance and yeah. whatever. Um, but basically I, I was reading the magazine we, we get uh, monthly from NFU and, you know, it kind of advertised this programme. And I just thought, well, go for it because it was in my gap year and yeah, I wanted to get as much experience as I can. So I sent in a, I, basically there's like an application form where you had to like write nearly not like quite long answers you know it's quite quite a bit of work but I sent that um and then I was called for an interview then so did an interview um and then yeah I was chosen to be I think it was 12 of us I'm not really sure yeah I can't remember how many of us but it's a year-long program and I must say that's the best thing I've done well apart apart from the um, success of the docs but that's you know one of the major things that yeah has got me where I am today kind of thing and giving me the confidence also to be home farming um so yeah basically throughout the program well to be honest I had never been to London before I'd never been on a train before but um in my year with the NFU as an ambassador I've been to London six times and I've been on a train countless times so I think that just shows in a nutshell I think that just shows the experiences especially for somebody like me from North Wales um 
who doesn't travel much, you know, it was a great way of seeing and meeting people, but also seeing the country. And what I liked about it was it was maybe not about farming. It was more about the political side um, to farming, obviously, you know, working um, with politicians. Um, you know, I've been to the House of the Parliament multiple times now. I've met the Prime Minister, but he wasn't the Prime Minister at the time, but um, he came to the hustings, but then obviously... Yeah stuff happened <laughs> but now yes. he's the prime minister and um, so I met him you know something I wouldn't have done you know dreamed of and been like to Christmas receptions and things in the house of the parliament and met yeah quite influential people mm -hmm. so that in terms of that that's been great you know obviously kind of um, opened my eyes up to another different world um, but also you know we've been um, doing a lot of things as a group so meeting you know I was the only person from North Wales so I was meeting farmers from across um, England and Wales um, a strawberry farmer a dairy, well I, I, I know I know a bit about dairy but you know different types of farmers like arable farmers didn't know nothing about arable but you kind of make that connections and um, yeah now we're really really good friends as a group so yeah, in a nutshell, that's how it is. But basically, you're just bombarded with opportunities and I've just taken each one and it's been great. I mean, that was just a proper Caleb Cooper story, wasn't it? I've never been to London, <laughs> I've never been in a train. <laughs> um, no, it's it's brilliant. I, I've, yeah. I've raised it a few times in the podcast. Like I think the opportunities you get and the, the things that NFU will gain from hearing from you guys is also brilliant. Yeah. Um, no, it's fab and, you know, like, now, obviously, I was in the 2022 cohort, and that's come to an end. There's a new cohort now, but I'm still so, so heavily involved. Like, last week, I've just done a live lesson to 20,000 children across Wales. You know, like, the experiences oh, yeah. I've had is absolutely amazing. You know, I've, like, spoken in some, like, uh, science expeditions. Um, I've spoken, like, in some conferences. Like, you know, opportunities like that where you know I think it's so so important to be involved in an organization or a union like NFU because that's how you can kind of get the opportunities and get your name out there and um without me realizing the farm at home has actually benefited as well because I you know I'm more aware of the farming scene politically and yeah you know how it's all how it all works so um, yeah it's been a great benefit for both. Was it was Baker one in your year? Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, great friends with Becca as well. I know I, I saw Becca was at Highland Show and I was <laughs> I saw like I, like she posted about it and I was like, oh bugger. Because I've met Lizzie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, it's quite fun this. I don't know if you do this, but like especially the way I sort of network in the whole social media scene is like I meet these people do this and then I'm like, I wonder when I'll meet them. <laughs> 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 like someone someone you'll know of very well is me and her, I'll say her name wrong I'm sure me and your hipples have I yeah. said that right um and uh she was episode number 110 this is obviously oh. what uh, sorry no no she was episode 10 this is 116 and uh I met her five days ago at Highlands it was oh, the first wow. time uh, oh yeah she's lovely and yeah one of my role models actually in the family really? in the world yeah she's she's brilliant Oh, she, she was just lovely. She was absolutely lovely. And I didn't know you spoke Welsh as your primary language, but I introduced that podcast in Welsh. Um, <laughs> and she said it was okay. Um, I don't know if she was just being nice, probably <laughs> probably in fairness. But uh, yeah, no, it does sound brilliant. So do, is, what's the criteria? You're either a student or 
do you have to be in a young farmers club or do you just have to be a certain age? To be honest, I can't really remember. Um, obviously, what it is is like having some sort of farming connection. So yeah. a lot of the cohort this year are like students studying agriculture or, um, yeah, you know, kind of that linked or a farmer. So I think it's under, well, I'm not sure, you'll have to look it up, but yeah. I think it's under like th- mm, 25. Oh, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I know I was the youngest. I was 19 at the time. Um, yeah. I was definitely the youngest in the group. So, um, yeah, you've got plenty of time to kind of apply. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know, maybe it might be best kind of waiting. But I look, I was looking enough to have an opportunity quite young. Uh, and it's quite funny, actually, because, you know, I'd never been, well, I'd never been to London and, you know, never been to a nightclub or anything like that. <laughs> and, you know, like one of the things that, you know, I did feel gutted about not going to university. I didn't get that chance to kind of yeah. go out and, yeah, see the kind of yeah different world kind of thing. But um, I can say I've been nightclubbing in London. I've been nightclubbing in Birmingham. So um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it, but um, definitely in the ambassador programme, you, you get up to some fun. So, um, yeah, that's also good. And the older older um, guys in and girls, you know, in the um, in the group, definitely, yeah, um, helped and, yeah, kind of yeah. brought thrown me up kind of thing looked out for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um <laughs> I like that I've tried out nightclubs in different cities now you know that's what it's about that's and, and not going to university you miss out on that you do yeah um, do you do young farmers are you in young farmers yeah so we've got a young farmers um in the county so yeah I go to my club um but it's just, yeah, just difficult having the time but I do try and make the effort to go because it's so so important and the opportunity to get as well and I think that's what's great you know there's so many now like things opportunities for young people so even though if you're not you know from a farming background or whatever it's great you know there's opportunities coming up for you to get involved and it's just through going for it you know that you can get these opportunities and kind of grow your career in the agricultural industry yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah no, absolutely. I did it. I joined quite late, only a year ago, and I'm 26, so I'm ancient compared to you. But uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. And uh, tell us, Aaron, about social media. You you do Instagram and and you promote quite a lot on there. Um, did that start after the um, the sheepdog side of things blew up, or when did yeah, that? Yeah, it was the dogs. At, like at the time, it was like. Um, I don't know. It, I didn't really put a lot of effort into it. I kind of just thought, okay. well, I'll, I'll show some pictures and whatever and see how it goes. And also because from, coming from like a quite a small town, I was quite embarrassed as well. Um, because obviously, you know, farmers out here, like, I don't know, they're not social media people, you know, they, they yeah, they thought, I probably thought, what what the hell is she doing? Um, posting pictures of a sheep or whatever. But, you know, I, I kind of thought to myself, no, I think, you know, I think it's important to kind of try and show it's it's a great way to advertise yourself, obviously, and uh, make connections um, just through posting pictures. It's, you know, it's a simple way to, um, yeah, to do that. So I kind of kept on it. And obviously then um, with the more people I met and also, you know, the poor people, more people like that got to know me through TV and things like that. It's kind of grown. And now it's, you know, it's a really important tool I have really in my box to be able to showcase my farm life and also you know what I do to promote farming. You've said TV a few times tell us about that. Well I think I, I, I'm not going to start listing kind of the names I'll probably forget but probably the highlight for me is getting my Blue Peter badge because that was absolutely That's amazing. so cool. Yeah 
And um, Richie, um, he was, I don't think he's on it now, but um, one of the presenters, he came out to the farm for a day and basically did like a lambing um, film, all the lambing and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but then I then I then went to the studios in Manchester and actually did a live um, programme for them. So um, what, I, I, what I can remember was, um, we had like basically they wanted to bring animals into the studio yeah. so then I was having to like present this while holding a duck and this duck wouldn't keep still and all I can remember was like people like the director saying put it down put it down because obviously you know as in a duck, a duck looking a bit thing isn't great for tv but that's the joys of working with animals um, but no in terms of doing it live and presenting and learning a script it was great and then obviously showcasing farm life for children is also brilliant and yeah I think it's something that needs to be done more really. Do you see a future in telly? I don't know <laughs> a lot of you know it is a long a long day especially you know when you're filming you know it, for two minutes on the screen is probably two hours yeah. filming and you know it is quite challenging like that um, and I'm not the best at learning scripts and things like that you know I'm not, right. I'm not got the best memory but um, hopefully it's an avenue that I can go down at some point maybe. It's funny I mean at the Highland show they do like so the best one there is is the Royal Welsh for this they document their show so well my mum and dad sit and watch the whole Royal Welsh in Welsh and they don't speak Welsh <laughs> so like, uh, it's that good but the Highland show have started it now and they, they put it all up and uh, I did quite a bit of presenting for them, and I just absolutely loved it. Like yeah. it's just, yeah. And but the probably the reason I loved it was it wasn't a script. I have <laughs> done I have done script work, and like you yeah. know, they've got like, those key points they want you to hit. And there was one thing I did a, a shoot like a cooking shoot for QMS, which is our meat assurance up here. And uh, there was like four points in this two sentences that I was to say. I'm not joking when I say about the length of this podcast, it took me to get that sentence right. I could not get my tongue around it. But uh, when it's not yeah. a script, it's more sort of just natural. And But it is good fun. Yeah. It is fun. I think um, like like in the earlier days, maybe when I had the dog, it was more TV work, was more about me and the farm and things. And it was okay, but I, you know, I didn't really like it because I kind of, yeah. yeah quite conscious but now it's gone more to kind of presenting um other people and showcasing yeah. other people which I really really enjoy because I you know it's great for me personally meeting new people and seeing how different farms work but you know also great for other people and to showcase British farming as a whole really so that's why I enjoy you know kind of going and meeting other people and showcasing them. <laughs> I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Is that like on Fermio or what's that one? Um, yeah, so I've been on Fermio myself, um, showing more of the farm, but like maybe more with the NFU side. Um, right. you know, that I'm, you know, a lot of things that I've done, like policies and things like that so um advocating things or you know more political sides which not based on me personally it's more about you know something that's happening um countrywide or something like that and also you know with the live lessons that we've been doing um you know there's a lot great opportunities like that and um funnily enough on the royal welsh um 
show even though I wasn't on camera but last year I was like behind the production team so that was a different that was a different side to it as well that's really interesting really interesting in the yeah. sheet I was like um one of the people uh kind of behind the camera in the show in the sheet ring and I enjoyed it you know because I was meeting breeders and whatever making connections yeah, yeah. With that, but also then trying to get them on tv and to do it was great it's, it's funny you say that, I mean, because the, 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 the most of the stuff I've done is on the camera, you know, but what I tend to do when I'm on camera is I'm always sort of looking at the camera. It's like I was asking the camera folks and the director, so what does that do? What's that we think for? What's, you know, <laughs> and they're like, probably, Wallace, get on camera, leave us alone. <laughs> but it's really interesting. It's really yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, no. Dear Erin, it's been great to chat. I genuinely <laughs> did not know you were 20. That is mental. Like, and for those of you listening, you're probably realising why it was such a shock and realised just how much Erin's fitted in. Um, there is two questions I ask everyone, but I always quite like to say <clears throat> the time sort of flies by. It's been over three quarters of an hour already. It oh, does gosh. sort of, yeah, it just sort of disappears, <laughs> doesn't it? It just sort of flies in. Um, the, the two questions I ask everyone, and I didn't tell you them at the start because I'm sure you'll know the answer to them, is uh, well, maybe one of them is where do you see yourself in five years? Which, sickeningly, you'll still be younger than me <laughs> at the minute. You'll obviously still be younger than me. That's how time works. Um, yeah. So where do you see yourself in five years? And if you had any tips for folk coming into it, and let's go with farming and uh, and sheepdog side of things as well. What would they be? <clears throat> so the five years question. I suppose it's hard to say with like the social media and things aspect because you never know with that. You know, never know. But for me, like the priority is the home farm. It's the business. That's my, you know, um, bread and butter. That's, you know, how I make my living kind of thing. So for me, you know, it's upping the numbers again, increasing the numbers, growing more grass, reseeding, making the land better. And yeah, hopefully being in a position to maybe expand or, you know, to invest in something or, you know, just being in a stronger position financially as well. Because obviously at the moment it's early days. So yeah, that's kind of the dream is to up the numbers, get a really good flock going and probably a closed flock in the end, hopefully. But that will take a bit more than five years. (laughs) Um, But um, in terms of tips... Um, from personal experience, probably, you know, I probably said I've said it, said it before, but just to take every opportunity. And, you know, I, I kind of had that experience of leaving school and people thinking, oh, gosh, what she's doing, you know, she should be going elsewhere. And, you know, she's kind of not reaching her full potential. But hopefully I've shown that, you know, it is what you make of it. Farming doesn't necessarily mean you're in wellies all day and you're in mud and yep. you're, you know, it is most days, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if you want to be meeting people or, you know, wearing nice office clothes or whatever and going speaking to politicians, you can do that. But, you know, the opportunities are there. So I think it is definitely like what you make of it and how you want it to be. And, you know, if I look back and think, you know, what my other friends are doing, you know, I think I, think I have reached, you know, the same kind of, expectations as them and yeah I hope I have so it just shows that you know it is what you make of it um so take every opportunity and it's probably just to have patience as well um it didn't come overnight training dogs doesn't come overnight um starting up a business doesn't come overnight um you know just having that patience and determination to carry you through really and if you have a bad day you know just think there's always tomorrow and yeah just have that patience because it will come if you're determined and you really want it it will come in the end no good points good points and I think 
you mentioned your friends there. If your friends are even on a par with what you're doing at your age, I think there have been massive successes in their life. I cannot go over your 20. I genuinely can't. I am um, my co-host on the All In series, Ed. Uh, we sort of done an episode with him last week and uh, we were going through everything he'd done. And I was like, where do you see yourself in five years? And he says the same age as you. And I'm like, oh my God. How do people fit so much in? I feel like all, all I had done by 20 or 21 was get drunk at uni. <laughs> oh, nothing behind me apart from that. But, you know, so, everybody's different and everybody's kind of time comes at a different point. It. You know, it's, um, yeah, just that's how it is really. And I'm just lucky maybe to have that opportunity as young. Um, it has some burdens, but also some great, you know, opportunities and things. So no, very grateful. Well, my comment on you is you're insanely mature for your age, very inspirational in all of the stuff you say. So um, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'm sure everyone's enjoyed it. Um, I hope Thank you've you. enjoyed it as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Uh, I can't remember your Instagram name exactly. Is it Erin Pandyfarm? Um, yeah, Erin Pandyfarm. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel it's so awkward when I have to say that, but I couldn't think of anything better. So it's just, <laughs> well, honest, yeah, Erin Farming Pandyfarm. So Erin Pandyfarm. <laughs> for, for so long, I thought your name was Erin Pandy. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if you are listening still and you want to go check her out, that's the place to do it. Um, if you want to hear one of her other stories, I'm sure she spoke about different things on the, I'm say, I say I'm sure because I listen to no podcasts. As in fairness, Erin said she doesn't either before. But she said, I'm really sorry. I've never seen one of your podcasts before, which is not a problem in the slightest. Uh, so go and check out the Becca and Lizzie podcast there. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, we've got another one coming with Sophie Bell uh, coming up soon. In the next month or so, um, we've got quite, I can't say anything's happening yet, but I would say we probably have. I, I can't actually say we do. We probably have an excitement and I say, I probably I can't speak, an exciting announcement coming in the next five or six weeks. I've got quite a busy July and August. Um, when this is released, which will be the last Friday of the month, um, basically as of tomorrow, I'm starting training to walk 112 miles in two days. Uh, so that's basically my first three weeks of July. Uh, and then I am going to Tanzania and Rwanda to a food summit with young farmers. So it's quite a busy time. So I won't actually be much on social media and whatever, but I have got a couple of uh, agreements being made in, in the background. So hopefully we'll have some exciting stuff coming up. Podcasts you can expect to see is that lady that, I don't, you'll have seen this, Erin, it's in Scotland. There's a lady who is 26, has just got a first class degree and social care but she couldn't read and write at 16 uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah yeah absolutely amazing so yeah. if anyone's listening has contact for her, i think her name's chloe mcrobert please get in touch i would love to have her on we have um a friend of mine who is female who has won loads of um engineering apprenticeship awards which is brilliant sort of breaking that barrier and what is a very much male-dominated industry we've got a rugby player we've got um Someone who's climbed Everest 16 times has responded. Wow. So get them on, that'd be really cool. And then as and when all of this is happening, um, we have very much loads of food and farming episodes coming your way. So in July, I believe there is nine coming. Um, thank you all for listening. I appreciate the support. It was great to see you all at Highland and Erin. Thank you very much again. No problem. Perfect. We'll see you all for the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming 
and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.